Well, good morning, Fellowship Fayetteville. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ, and I struggle with anger, codependency, and depression in a raspy throat this morning. And my name is David. Hey, David. And I work with Celebrate Recovery here at Fayetteville and leading worship along with some of our great team here today. We're just honored to be here to worship the Lord together, the highest power of all. You know, um, this first song we're going to sing has a little bit of a backstory to it, and some of the writers of the song uh, shared this online, and I'd like to just share that with you as we begin to worship this morning. This is what they said. There are moments we can all experience in life where we find ourselves having a funeral for dreams that we once really believed in, times when the loss of a close relationship knocks the breath out of us, and suddenly we feel like we're staring at a hopeless situation. But this is where our God steps in to demonstrate his authority over it all. And he specializes in turning things around. He specializes in resurrection. And he's the only one who can make a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. He's the only one who can turn our mourning into dancing, give us beauty in exchange for ashes. And he can even take a grave and turn it into a garden. And we hope this song stirs your faith to believe that God's purpose will prevail and remind you that his love endures forever and his faithfulness continues through all generations. And that is so true. So let's claim that. Let's believe. Let's stand and sing together. Better than you, there's no 
babies. Woo! Thanks, Dave. You really struggled with that. You may be seated. So, uh... <laughs> hey, hey, good morning, everybody. I'm a grateful follower of Jesus Christ. And about 30 years ago, I was working at Kennecook Camps. And Joe White, the director, I was just kind of wandering around. He ran up to me and uh, just grabbed me and he says, hey, do you know how kids spell love? T-I-M-E. And I remember thinking to myself as a college student that at that time, I was just like, man, that's some of the best advice that I could possibly get. And 30 years later, I really struggle with um, forgiveness and guilt, wondering if I lived that out uh, personally in my life. Uh, my name is Brian. Um, whew, okay. Moving on from that. Hey, uh, next week, uh, something pretty amazing is going to happen. Uh, we're going we're gonna to assume it's not one degree outside. Uh, we're going to assume that most of our college students are going to be back, and that means we are going to be out of room here uh, for the service. And so we're opening up an extra service that's going to be at 745 in this room. So we'll have three services, the normal times and also at 745 uh, in the morning. Uh, so be ready for that. We are inviting you. We're asking, please come. It only works if people come, uh, and it's really hard to lead worship in front of three people. It's possible, uh, but really difficult, so uh, please come and be a part of that. Uh, next is, if you uh, are a parent of a ninth through 12th grader, uh, the spring break trip, going to Nashville, uh, to be able to serve, to be able to serve the underprivileged uh, in Nashville is also a time, if you're one of those parents, I especially want to appeal to the, uh, to the parents who like, man, my, my kids have just never felt like bought in or accepted or a part of FSM, uh, sending them on a retreat or a mission trip, I always believe is one of the best ways to get them plugged in. And, and I know just from personal experience, seeing it over and over again, um, that's where some of the best relationships and bonds have formed, uh, especially serving together on a mission trip. So the deadline is three days away, and so um, please uh, get your kids signed up, ninth through 12th grade. Uh, and finally, we have a, a very special morning. I've kind of been telling.
grateful believer in Jesus, I celebrate a restored marriage and recovery over loss of self-worth as a result of sexual trauma. And I struggle with food issues and fear of the future. My name's Kayla. Good morning. I am a grateful believer in Jesus Christ and I am on the road to recovery for codependency, people pleasing, anxiety and insecurity. And my name is Denise. Good morning forever family. I am a grateful believer and follower of Jesus Christ. I celebrate recovery over the effects of eating disorder and anger. And I still struggle with trusting God in all things and believing that in Christ I am enough. My name is Evan. Hi. Hi. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus. I celebrate recovery from sexual addiction and I still struggle with codependency and anxiety. And my name's Justin. Justin. For those of you who came in a little late, I still struggle with anger, codependency, and depression. And my name is David. Hey, David. Man, every Friday night as we come together for Celebrate Recovery, uh, we either celebrate a life change story of someone's life that has been changed from the inside out from Jesus, or we learn some lessons about recovery, how to tackle these hurts, habits, and hang-ups that maybe uh, have been a part of our lives for years or maybe for a short time. And we do that through, through the lens of the biblical 12 steps and then the eight principles taken from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we know them as the Beatitudes. And Heath is going to lead us through these eight principles. This is a part of our rhythm during this series. And so, Heath, if you'll lead us, thanks. Hello. I'm a grateful believer, celebrate recovery from alcoholism, and my name is Heath. Hi, Heath. So just like we do every Friday night, I'm going to read the principle, and if you would, audience participation, you'll read the verse with me. Number one, realize I'm not God. I admit that I'm powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing and that my life is unmanageable. Happy are those who know they are spiritually poor. Matthew 5, 3. Number two, earnestly believe that God exists, that I matter to him, and that he has the power to help me recover. Happy are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Matthew 5, 4. Number three, consciously choose to commit all my life and will to Christ's care and control. Happy are the meek. Matthew 5, 5. Number four, Openly examine and confess my faults to myself, to God, and to someone I trust. Happy are the pure in heart, Matthew 5, 8. Number five, voluntarily submit to any and all changes God wants to make in my life and humbly ask him to remove my character defects. Happy are those whose greatest desire is to do what God requires, Matthew 5, 6. Number six, Evaluate all my relationships, offer forgiveness to those who have hurt me, and make amends for harm I've done to others when possible, except when to do so would harm them or others. Happy are the merciful, Matthew 5, 7. Happy are the peacemakers, Matthew 5, 9. Number seven, reserve a daily time with God for self-examination, Bible reading, and prayer in order to know God and his will for my life and to gain the power to follow his will. And finally, number eight, yield myself to God to be used to bring this good news to others, both by my example and by my words. Happy are those who are persecuted because they do what God requires. Matthew 5, 10. You give life, you are love, you bring light to the darkness, you give hope, you restore every heart that is broken. It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise, we pour out our praise. It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise. 
Tim, thanks for sitting down with me, and I hope that our time together is a huge encouragement to our Fellowship Fayetteville family. And so I want to cut right to the chase. You're 375 days in to sobriety as we sit here today, and um, you found yourself in quite a predicament. Where were you at 375 days ago? 375 days ago, I was alone. I was sick. I was lost, and it seemed like I had blinked my eyes, and everything that I knew that I had control of, I had lost control of. Mm. On top of it, I had a problem. And so we know that problem was, was alcohol. Mm. And uh, some 10 years before, you had engaged in a sobriety fight. That's correct. But this one's different. That's correct. How is this one different than last time? 
because 10 years ago, I stopped drinking when on two different occasions, somebody told me I was an alcoholic and I said, well, I'll show you I'm not an alcoholic, I'll quit drinking. Mm. So I stopped for, I don't know, 10 months, maybe 11 months with the intentions of drinking again, which I did exactly what the alcoholic would do. I started drinking again and when I started drinking again, I started drinking a lot. Mm. And you know, I kept it under control for a period of time and then it became, just became out of control. So for the better part of a decade and now, a year into your sobriety, what's, what's been different about this fight this time? This time, it was through God's grace that I sobered up. The only way I could get the help I needed was to go to treatment. Mm. And I knew at the time when I asked for help that it was, God was there and it was in a parking lot and I looked at my wife and I said, I've got to quit drinking and I can't stop on my own. And I knew at that particular moment, if I asked for help, I would get the help that I needed. I don't know how, I yeah. just knew that God was there with me and that I needed to ask for the help. Mm -hmm. And then and since that day, you've taken some desperate measures. What are some of the specific things you had to do to daily fight this and walk in freedom? Oh, well, <laughs> I mean, you went to detox. I, I stayed in detox for yeah. 30 days. Uh, when I left detox, um, I went through an outpatient program. Um, I still engage in counseling. Um, I'm also on medication once a month. I, um, my whole life's different. My routine daily starts out, I start out in the morning with the serenity prayer. I avoid situations that are triggers. Yeah. which are, you know, situations of angst and anger. I look places, at, certain places you probably try not to go anymore. Obviously, I don't, I don't go into certain places like bars. Yeah. <laughs> I do not walk into bars. Um, you know, there's certain things that yeah. I just don't do. They're just not places that I need to be in. I know what keeps me sober and what's worked for a year mm -hmm. and a month, and I'm not, uh, that routine, I don't want to change. Mm -hmm. I have a sponsor and I have counseling that I go to. And one of the main things I have is I've got a CR group that's incredible. Yeah, and we've talked about that. And yeah. so, man, how has the Celebrate Recovery group been a blessing and just the whole CR process for you? So when I stepped out of treatment, I've been in Fayetteville 30 years plus. And when I stepped out of treatment, it was like I came to a foreign town. Um, I knew that when I came out of treatment that I was not gonna be embarrassed for going to treatment because then that would be I would be embarrassed of God's grace. Which, so I came out of treatment, and I'm not embarrassed of going to treatment. I had to go there. I had a problem, I had to address it. The next step was, where do I go, what do I do? And you directed me to the CR group. Well, I had never really engaged with CR. At first, you know, we kinda, you know, it was a little bit awkward at first, but after talking to the guys for just a few minutes, I realized, my goodness, we've got a lot in common. And we started sharing stories and, you know, fast forward that a year, I mean, we're more like brothers than we are a CR group. But I mean, mm. we get together now, we finished our 12 step study and now we're doing the, we're, we're, we're continuing on with book five and uh, we meet every Wednesday. And I know that if I need something, they're there. And yeah. the other thing I know is whatever we talk about, whatever goes on in that group stays in that group. Yeah. I know I've got confidentiality, which was very important to me because if I've got something that's really bothering me that I need somebody to talk to that, that can relate to me without me having to go into a whole story about what's going on, yeah. I can talk to these guys and it stays right there. Yeah. So yeah. Tim, there's a Tim out there watching this and they're in the place that you were in 375 days ago. I mean, what what would you say to them? When I was there, I felt like I was on an island and I was by myself. You need to look up, there's other people on the island. Hmm. Especially in today's day and age, a lot of weirdness is going on in this world. Yeah. And there's there are other people struggling with whatever it is you're struggling with. And there are other people out there that you can talk to. Mm. And CR is a great place. I I don't think I just happened into the great group. I think there's a lot of great groups out there. 
and I think it's a great program. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it, and uh, you know, obviously we've continued on as a group, and we, yeah. matter of fact, we're meeting tonight, so. Tim, your story is amazing, a uh, picture of God's grace, and I appreciate your openness and vulnerability in sharing, and I appreciate your friendship, too. I love you, man. Love you, too, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a pretty incredible story, isn't it? Man, I was, uh, I was talking with Tim earlier this week, and one of the things that we were talking about is just how incredible it is that God can redeem the most broken parts of our story. Uh, he also said to forgive the long hair in that, because one of the cool things about that video is that it's old. Uh, that's in there, Clark mentions that Tim's about a year into his journey. Well, today, Tim is nearing four years of freedom. And what's even more incredible is that he's helping other guys walk through the same struggles that he had as he's leading a, a Celebrate Recovery step study group for right now. Man, it's incredible the way that God redeems the most broken parts of our lives when we let him into it. Well, good morning, Fellowship Fayetteville. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ. I struggle with anxiety and depression, grief and lust, and I celebrate seven years of freedom from a 13-year addiction to pornography. My name is Andy. Hey, y'all. I've got the great privilege of being able to, to serve as the ministry leader for our Celebrate Recovery ministry that meets here every single Friday night, and I'm really excited to be here to continue on in our Celebrate Recovery Life's Healing Choices series. Uh, you know, one thing I never get tired of in my life is hearing stories of life change because hearing the reality of another person's story gives me the courage to accept mine. And I know it wasn't too long ago that uh, I was convinced that if people knew the reality of my past and my struggles, it would ruin everything for me. This is me about nine years ago. And I know what you're thinking. I look a little different. But what's incredible is the things that God has done in my life since then. See, when, I, uh, when those pictures were taken, I was uh, working as a resident with our college ministry with Brian Pope in that, and I had just gotten hired to come on to the Celebrate Recovery team up at our Rogers campus to lead a Celebrate Recovery student ministry called The Landing. Uh, on the outside, I, I looked pretty, pretty good and obviously pretty cool, um, but the reality was that I was a wreck. You see, no one here at Fellowship knew the reality of my past struggles with alcohol, Nobody knew the, the, the sexual or relational brokenness that I carried with me, and surely nobody knew about the pornography addiction that I'd been struggling with since I was 12 years old. I was convinced that the baggage I carried with me disqualified me from being used by God. And I wanted nothing more than to, to cover my past up because I had no idea what to do with the pain and the shame that I carried with me. But I didn't realize that I couldn't heal from my past if I didn't allow myself to face it. You see, my life was being ruled by a cycle of hurts and hangups and habits. It's a dysfunctional cycle that I, I believe if all of us are honest with ourselves that we all struggle with in some way, shape, or form. This is what it looks like. All of us because we are broken people that live in a broken world, at some point we experience events either due to uh, the actions of ourselves or the actions and choices of others or natural events like a pandemic that happens. And out of these events, they, they cause pain or trauma in our lives, which we simply call hurts. Typically, we don't do a good job dealing with the pain and the wound, and because of that, it doesn't heal properly. And so we start to make sense of the wounds by adopting some, some faulty core beliefs about ourselves, about God, about others and our relationships to try and frame and make sense of the pain. But those, those hang-ups only magnify the pain. And then in an attempt to numb or protect or defend ourselves from that pain, we start running to things for comfort, these unhealthy habits, sinful behaviors in our life unhealthy coping mechanisms. They could be any number of things such as substance abuse or pornography use, 
or anger, comparisonism, perfectionistic tendencies, people-pleasing, you name it. But whatever it is, it always works itself out into our relationships. It always ends up strengthening the cycle by creating more events in our lives and even events in the lives of other people as well. In my life, when messed up things happened, like when my uncle exposed me to pornography when I was eight years old, or when I was bullied for my weight growing up, or when I just made stupid choices that hurt other people, I didn't know what to do with that pain and shame that resulted from that. And so in trying to make sense of my pain, I started believing, among a lot of other things, that I deserved it. Somehow it was my fault because deep down there's something defective about me and people don't really enjoy me. They just tolerate me until they can't stand me any longer. And then to medicate myself from that magnified pain, I ran to porn and alcohol and relationships. I hurt myself and a lot of other people and it just strengthened the cycle. And so when I started working with a recovery ministry, I thought that the solution was just to manage all the behaviors in my life and I'd be okay. But I learned quickly that if I don't deal with the wreckage of my past, this cycle is never going to be broken. Last week, Garland walked us through the, the first two principles, the first two healing choices of Celebrate Recovery to realize that all of us are broken and we all need Jesus all the time and to understand what it means to surrender to him to a God that sees us and has the power to help us change. Today, we're gonna to walk through the, the next three choices, the next three principles of Celebrate Recovery uh, through the lens of James chapter four as a jumping off point, but ultimately to answer the question, what do I do with the pain and shame of my past? How do I deal with the baggage that I carry? Ultimately, we'll see this idea that acceptance is what leads us to lasting healing. Specifically, stepping in to accept and commit to God's care and control in my life. Accepting and confessing and admitting the reality of the baggage of my past. And accepting that the change needed is deeper than I think. And so we're going to look primarily at James chapter 4, verses 6 through 10 this morning. But I think it's important to know kind of what's been happening up to the letter or up, up to this point in the letter. You see, James is writing to an early church and up so far, among other things, he's been pointing out some pretty concerning patterns of behavior. And I, I just imagine what this, and this early church must have looked like huddled together in somebody's home, knowing that they had a letter from James, the brother of Jesus. And as they're hearing it read out loud, it's apparent that James is cued in on a couple things that are going on there. He uh, calls out how their walk doesn't match their talk. He calls out relational brokenness and strife and how they have a tendency to favor the rich rather than the poor, how they're not using their mouth in a God-honoring way. And he even calls them adulterous because they're making friends with the world rather than living in, in full devotion to Jesus. And we don't know exactly what all of those behaviors looked like in particular, but I have to imagine that as some of those Jesus followers are sitting in that, in that living room in that home, surely they had the thought that many of us fear. He knows. He knows all of it. Have you ever found yourself there? Surely James knew exactly what he was doing there. See, he loved his friends so much to address what was going on in their life, but he didn't want to just leave them there because he knew that there was another way forward. And what follows here is James' transition into a call to repentance and it's a beautiful example of the way that God, through the word of James, addresses the hearts of broken people when they come face to face with the reality of their stories. And I love the way that he starts it off here. Starting off in verse six, he says, but he, but God gives us more grace. That's why scripture said God opposes the proud, but he shows favor. He gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil. He will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. 
He reminds us of his grace, that pride isn't the answer. And then he encourages us to go to God, to throw ourselves at his feet. And why does he do that? Well, because change is hard. It's not easy to address the reality of the weight and the baggage that we carry with us. And even when things are spinning out of control, there can still be this tendency to resist fully committing to whatever change needs to happen in our life. I know in my life, I knew that my porn addiction was a problem, but there was still a part of me that resisted fully committing to whatever it is that I needed to do in it. And I think that's because oftentimes when we're in that place, what we're looking for is relief, not deep change. And they're different. And there's good reasons why we might resist deep change in our life. And I've, I think I've seen the two biggest ones be shame and pride. Shame is when we allow our mistakes to become our identity. And we start believing that there's no way that I can bring my stuff to him because I don't deserve God's healing. Even if I did come before him, he's so vastly disappointed in me. And so I don't even deserve to come before him. That's shame. It cripples us always. And then there's pride. And there's actually two sides of the pride coin. The first one is self-righteousness. And that's what we typically think of when we think about pride. It's this idea that ah, I'm not really that broken and I, it, it's all right. And even if I was, had some stuff in there, I can fix it myself. I don't really need to ask for help. It's the functional belief that... Uh, yeah, I've, I've got a savior, but I don't really need him. And it's a form of self-reliance that keeps us from honestly examining the reality of our lives. And then the other side is self-pity. This is something that we don't talk about as much, but it's pride that is disguised as callous hopelessness. It comes from a place of real pain and trauma, but the pain and trauma is so much that we find ourselves believing that, you know what, nobody can handle my pain. You think you got pain? Ain't got nothing on me. God wouldn't know what to do if I brought all the things I'm carrying to him. And so I'm not going to bring that to him. What's the point of even going there? And there's shame that's involved in that. But at its heart, it's the belief that God's power would never be enough to heal me from the full weight of my shame. What I love about what James does here is that he disarms both that pride and that shame. In our shame, he says, look, come near to God. Whatever you're carrying, whatever you're bearing, He's not gonna cast you away, but actually as he sees you coming to him, he's drawn near to you, even in that place of brokenness. In our pride and in our reliance on our own strength, he invites us to humble ourselves. There, there is a way forward. It's not through pride, but he gives grace to the humble. We have to realize that God can't work in our hearts if they're filled with pride. And that as long as we place self-reliance first, a true reliance on Jesus Christ will be impossible. So instead, we choose to humble ourselves and submit and accept the help that he offers and the process he offers with it. This humbling is encapsulated in uh, principle three of Celebrate Recovery, where it says, consciously choose to commit all of my life and will to Christ's care and control. We have to accept the reality that our strength and understanding is never gonna be enough. And then we choose to go all in. We ask God to do whatever it is he needs to do and we commit to the process, knowing that you know, when we commit our life to God, it's a, it's a once in a lifetime decision, but when we commit our will to God, it's a daily recommitment because we can't find healing apart from continual surrender and dependence on Jesus day by day. But here's the beauty of it. God actually built us to live in that type of dependence upon us. In the Lord's Prayer, he says, give us today our daily bread. He longs for us to rely on him, to abide in him in that way, because we're not strong enough to face our pain and brokenness without him. And that's exactly where James starts to lead us next. Verse 8, he says, come near to God and he will come near to you. And then he just says it. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. I love how James loves his friends here so much that he's not afraid to speak truth. You see, God calls us to address the reality of our lives. 
that without him, we are double-minded sinners, that there are things in our life that we need God to wash us clean from. And then we need to allow ourselves to actually address and face and feel the full weight of the baggage that we carry. We need to grieve and mourn and wail. Not just the sin that we've committed, but also the sin that has been committed against us. Doing any less than that is gonna rob us from the healing we're longing for. It's a hard choice, but it's a healing choice. It's articulated in principle four of Celebrate Recovery, where it says, openly examine and confess my faults to myself, to God, and to somebody that I trust. And can I be absolutely honest with you? When I first got into Celebrate Recovery, I did not wanna do that. I didn't feel like it was safe. You kidding me? Let's address all the pain of my past. No, thank you. How about a cheeseburger instead? I've got food issues too. But you see, I thought that bringing all that stuff up was just gonna cause more pain. But the reality is, is that it, in trying to avoid my pain, it caused more pain than it ever avoided. You see, we're only as sick as our secrets. And any emotions, any pain that we bury is buried alive. The shame, the pain, the regret of my past, they were actually alive and active in my life. They were just coming out sideways in my addictions and my relationships and how I handled stress and how I viewed myself. They were bleeding out all over the place whether I wanted to see it or not. And the biggest healing step I took was courageously choosing to accept that my past is past, that it was real, it happened, that no amount of regret would ever change that, that history is history. I can't change it. Back to the Future is just a movie. Marty McFly is just Michael J. Fox in a puffy vest. And I realized that the only way I could step into that accepting was by allowing myself to be known. The place I started doing that was at Celebrate Recovery in our open share groups on Friday nights. They gave me a safe place where I, 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 they told me that nothing would leave that room and I found out that to be true as I started to slowly share parts of my story. And something crazy happened when I started to share. People didn't look at me sideways and tell me to leave. Nobody was shocked. And in fact, I actually started building deeper relationships with the guys in there started to realize that other people had the same struggles, that I, I wasn't alone in the things that I was carrying with me. And every time I walked out of those rooms, I actually felt a little bit lighter. What I was experiencing was the promise that James would write about later on in his letter in 516, chapter 5, verse 16. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. You see, there's a difference between being forgiven and experiencing healing. When I make Jesus the Lord of my life and confess my sins to him, I am forgiven completely and fully, past, present, future. But God tells me that the process to healing starts when I choose to bring another person into it. Because when another person knows, it takes on another level of reality in my mind. And one of the keys that I'm truly accepting parts of my pain and wound and shame is when I'm able to share it with another person. And I would encourage you, don't miss out on this type of healing. Find somebody that you trust to bring your stuff into. Maybe it's somebody in your community group or your men's or women's group. Maybe it's a counselor that you have. Or you could come to celebrate recovery on a Friday night at seven o'clock over in the student center. We can't do this alone. When we choose to bring other people into our stuff, it draws us closer to each other. And as we do this, one of the things that we'll see is that as we examine and confess the reality of our past, God is going to work even deeper change in our life than we'd imagined. He's going to start pointing some things out to us. There's a good chance we'll see some underlying patterns underneath our stuff. There may even be things in our character that God says, hey, this is an opportunity to grow. As James says in our passage, we're not just sinners, we're also double-minded and so when those things come up, we need to embrace and accept those too. Trust that God is doing what he needs to do in our life. 
And so with principle four, we also choose to do principle five. Voluntarily submit to every change God wants to make in my life and humbly ask him to remove my character defects. This means we offer, we submit, we surrender to every aspect in our lives that God wants to change and trust that his transformation is gonna lead us where he wants us and into the person he wants to make us into. We hunger and we thirst for his righteousness and we refuse to settle for anything less. Now, I just wanna pause. That's a lot. These two choices in themselves can be really overwhelming. Might be hard to know where to start. Might I encourage you prayer? Beautiful prayer to go to as we're considering this in our life is Psalm 139, 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This prayer allows us to start breaking the cycle of covering up our pain because it gives us and shows us that the, the other option is that we can actually take our pain, our sin, our wound, whatever it is, and actually invite God into that place. Ask him to make sense of it, knowing that he's not gonna cast us off, but he's safe to invite in that place. And rather than more condemnation and shame, what he's gonna give us is a way forward out of it. When we're able to bring God and others into the pain, it means we're able to accept reality. And that acceptance, it leads us to lasting healing. So as we close, as we end our conversation this morning, the band comes back up. I just wanna check in, like, how are you doing? Lord stirring some stuff in there. I know this is hard, but it's so necessary. John Eldridge says this. He says, it is so important for each of us to grieve our wound. It is the only honest thing to do. For in grieving, we admit the truth. We were hurt by someone we loved. We lost something very dear. It hurt us very much. Tears are healing. They help to open and cleanse the wound. I know it can be hard to go there. It was hard for me to step into this because if I take that courageous step, if I bring God into that place, if I bring others into that place, am I just gonna be dropped there? I love the way that James ends our passage today. The reminder of how God catches us when we're willing to come before him. He just says simply, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. God's promise here is that when we choose to submit ourselves to him, trust him, he lifts us up. When we humbly acknowledge that we need him, he steps into the pain in our life. He starts to change us in that place. But there's a couple other incredible promises that go right with that in this passage when we choose to take that step. You see, he gives us favor and grace. We don't have to be cleaned up to bring our stuff to him. As we draw near to him, he draws near to us. He sees us coming down the road and he runs to meet us in that place, in our place of our most broken parts. God promises nearness that he's never gonna leave us or forsake us. And as he sits there with us and helps us to make sense of it, he lifts us up and starts to bring healing. And I wanna assure you of this, if you're having trouble just trusting that, man, there is nothing that is too heavy for God that you're carrying. There's nothing that disqualifies you from his love. There's nothing you're carrying he can't redeem. God never wastes a hurt. We just gotta be willing to bring it to him. The question is, are we willing to face what's holding us back? Are we willing to seek change, not just relief? Right now in this time, we're gonna give ourselves some time to respond to that the same way that we do every single Friday night and celebrate recovery the same way we did last Sunday. 
Down front, we're gonna have three different stations where we're gonna have some folks handing out these little blue surrender chips. And anytime during these next couple songs, if there's something stern in your heart and there's, there's something that you're ready to finally accept and bring to God and ask him to enter into that place with you to make sense of it and lead you forward in that, to commit fully to what he wants to do in this tender spot in your life, we want to encourage you to come down and grab one of those little blue chips. And I love what Garland said last week, that it's just a piece of plastic, but it's something so much more than that. That physical movement helps to make it real. It was strange for me the first time that I did it. But what it did is it made it a deeper step of commitment in my life that actually led to more healing. Picking up a chip, it represents a step of surrender, a step of submission and commitment, and most of all, humility, where we're asking God to enter into our mess, asking God, help me as I try to commit to this change. So anytime during these next songs, you can come down and grab one, and if you see somebody come down and grab one, here's your job. Go nuts cheer and celebrate and clap because we can't do this alone. We need the encouragement of one another. And what we're celebrating is the fact that Jesus meets us in that place, that in our brokenness, when we choose to humble ourselves before him, we have a God that meets us there and lifts us up. That's why he went to the cross. That's why he died for us so that we could find change and hope in him, not just eternal life when we die, but abundant life in the here and now as we bring our stuff to him and find the freedom that's rooted only in Jesus. So let's stand together. Let's worship. The table's open. Let's sing this together. Christ is my firm foundation. The rock on which I stand When everything around me is shaken Oh, I've never been more glad That I put my faith in Jesus He's never let me down He's faithful through generations So I
there is still time to come down, we're gonna sing another song. But hear these words from Romans 8. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. Let's sing this together. There's peace that outlasts darkness.
Well, hey, just want to say this as we go out from this place. If there's some stuff stirring in your heart, if, if you picked up a chip and took that first step today, don't let that be your only step. I would encourage you, come to the prayer room this morning over on your right. We have communion over on your left. Talk to us out of the booth. Bring a trusted friend into it. Come check us out at Celebrate Recovery this coming Friday. Allow that step to be momentum into the next steps. And continually trust Jesus in the process as we step forward through it. We're so glad that we get to do this together as a church. Amen? Man. Well, as we end this morning, you join Denise with the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did, this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will, so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Amen. Amen. Well, go in peace, Fellowship Fayetteville. We love you. Have a great day, great week in him.